It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Go, Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now Pushing the Limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? Happy Hump Day. It is Wednesday, and uh, this is Pushing the Limits. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Brian Shapiro. I've been called worse. We are broadcasting everywhere, of course, on social media, Pushing Limits LV, video and audio on my YouTube page, PTL Vegas, as well. Check out uh, my TikTok page, which is PTL Vegas. Uh, we're all over the place, and of course, on the AM dial, KSHP 1400, and we got a lot to get to and a lot to go over today. Uh, let me give you a quick rundown on what we're going to be doing today, and then I'll introduce uh, my in-studio guest. We're going to be giving an update on the DeMar Hamlin situation, his health, of course, really how uh, the country's kind of rallied and come together, uh, which is a very good thing in a time that we are very divided. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's some fallout with some people that have not handled this situation very well in the media. We'll get to that as well. And then coming up a little later in the program, he is the beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills. His name is uh, Matt Perino, works for Syracuse.com, and he was out there. He was at the game, and I believe he's still out there in Cincinnati. So Matt will be joining us in hour number two. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, unless you're living under a rock, uh, Kevin McCarthy has been embarrassed uh, on a national scale, on the world stage even, you could say. Uh, they've just voted now for a fifth time, and uh, he's lost again. So what does this mean? What are the legalities of this? Can McCarthy still be the House Speaker? Well, we're going to talk to uh, Politico's very own Daniel Littman coming up at the bottom of the hour. And what better person to talk about all this stuff? we got a lot to get to today, a lot to talk about, some big stories. And, of course, it is Michelle Mortensen, the eight-time Emmy winner from Channel 8, joining us in studio, as she always does every Wednesday. Uh, Michelle, good to see you. How was your uh, New Year's? It was a good New Year's. Yeah, can you believe it? It's 2023. It's uh, it's crazy. It got here so fast. And I already have a feeling 2023 is going to go with um, some lightning speed. It's been a It's been a big year. We've already got a new governor here here. Governor Lombardo yes. was uh, sworn in about two days ago, and uh, there's chaos in the Republican Party, so let's just get right into it. <laughs> Did uh, Lombardo uh, not allow certain members of the media to uh, uh to No, cover? everybody was there. Okay, and, I know that's uh, your boy. Decide, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to his you know, uh, inaugural party on the 20th, so... Uh, I, I will say this, um, you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, talk is very cheap. And politicians, and now Joe Lombardo is a politician, yeah. can talk a big game about how he wants to bring everybody together. I'm sorry. I don't see Lombardo as a guy that brings people together. He certainly didn't bring people together as sheriff. He was very divisive. And I know you are a Lombardo supporter, and that's fine. I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think Lombardo is an election denier. I don't think he's a looney tune. He's not. I wouldn't put him in that category. No, yeah. It's just his personality to me is not one to unite people. He seems to be a guy that if you're not with him and you don't agree with him, you're outside of that circle. And that's what worries me about him, that he's not going to be willing to listen to people that disagree with him. And in no way, shape, or form am I saying Steve Sislak was perfect either, because clearly he wasn't, or he would have won re-election. But those are my concerns with Lombardo. You want to talk about bringing people... What, what has Lombardo done to bring people together in his career? What has he done? I can't name one thing that he's done to bring people together. So I hope he's telling the truth, and I hope... He gets those results, but I'm just not buying it. I don't, you know, I look at Brian Sandoval, for example, Republican. 
Brian Sandoval brought people together. He wasn't a perfect governor, but he worked with Democrats, respected guy, who, by the way, he was there the other day as well. And Sandoval's the kind of guy, I think, that brings people together. And I'm not saying Sisolak brought people together either. But we need a Sandoval-type personality. Let's listen to both sides. Let's hear them out. You might not agree with me, but I'm willing to work with you. Lombardo might say things like that, but anyway, that's my concern with him, Michelle. Yeah, I think we're going to see some, I think we've yet to see what we're going to see from Lombardo. Lombardo's only been sheriff. We've never yeah. seen him in a political capacity. Now he's going to be leading the state. He has a Democrat-controlled legislature. We all know there's not going to be a lot that he's going to be able to get done. I believe, actually, because I've already heard some of the things he's planning on doing in the corrections department, um, I think he's going to be able to make a lot of great changes there. But this is all yet to be seen. I don't think you're going to see some dramatic shift. I don't think you're going to see some amazing things being done that are going to be like, whoa, that was revolutionary because you have a Democrat-controlled legislature. The legislative session begins in early February. It will be very interesting to see what happens in the uh, next 180 days when the session begins because that's when things happen in Nevada. And uh, yeah. I, I don't expect any great waves to be made. Um, we'll see what type of leader That's more reason, though, why he needs to be able to work with Democrats. And I'm just, I just I don't. I think he is going to work with Democrats. I hope so. And you don't have any reason to believe that he he won't. He's he's been in office for two days. Nothing. Um, well, nothing I have reason. <laughs> I have reason to believe that it's his way or the highway, based on his behavior and the things he's said. I mean, he wanted to take down the Las Vegas Sun because he didn't like some articles that were written about him. I find that to be problematic. I find that to be a, a dictatorship type mind. Now, I find that to be a comment that was made and not something that was done. Is the Las Vegas Sun still alive and well today? It certainly is. It right, didn't go it, anywhere. Right, but it, it, it's a frame of mind that I don't like. Um, we all don't like people that we have to work with, whether that be members of the media, whatever, but you learn to do so. And I don't know. Uh, those are my concerns when it comes to Joe Lombardo. And uh, I hope he succeeds just like when Donald Trump took office. I said, I hope the man for Nevada's succeeds. sake, we hope that yeah. this is a great year for Nevada. I hope he and, does. and financially, it looks like it's going to be a freaking killer year for Nevada. 2022 was an amazing year financially for Nevada, which is hard to believe on so many levels, but mm. it was a great year well, for Nevada. Republicans won't give Steve Sislak any credit for that. But well, um, evidently during economic downturns and, and at times of recession, uh, gambling goes up in, in droves. And so we had a fantastic financial year. Yeah. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it, 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 it we were great. While Governor Sislak was not the perfect governor by any stretch of the imagination, he was a much better governor than many Republicans in this state would ever give him credit for. And uh, they all want to attack Governor Sislak for all the shutdowns. The whole country was shut down at one point. Republican governors were, were shut. And, and, you know, people want to talk about Florida and DeSantis. There were shutdowns in Florida, too. So uh, this is a very unique city. It's a very unique state. It's the uh, one of the most uh, tourist, biggest tourist uh, entertainment capitals of the world, if not the biggest. Um, and I thought Steve Sislak, under uh, COVID restrictions and all that, I thought he did a decent job under very difficult circumstances. But again, most Republicans won't uh, give him credit for that. So let's talk about a story before we get more into McCarthy and politics at the bottom of the hour. A story that I think, uh, for the most part... And, and there's still some politics interjected here when it comes to vaccines. I'll get to that. But let's start with the positives with uh, this DeMar Hamlin story. I don't know if you watched the game live as I did, but, you know, I was doing work. Uh, as I said yesterday, I was preparing for the show the next day. And I, I got, you know, sometimes you have the TV on and you're not always paying attention to it. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention to the game. And then all of a sudden I put my head up and I hear Joe Buck talking about how uh, they're performing CPR on DeMar. And it was just a horrific situation. And we're going to talk to the Bills reporter uh, coming up here in hour number two. His name is Matt Perino. He was in the, the stadium. I can't even imagine. 
Uh, that's uh, something that certainly I'll never forget watching that. It was terrible. But um, the world is rallying around this kid. Yeah. Who by all, from what I've heard. Great kid. Is someone who did a lot for charity, never got into trouble, a family man. Uh, his mother was in the ambulance with him uh, when he was going to the hospital. Haven't heard anybody say anything bad about this kid, which uh, makes it even more unfortunate. I wouldn't wish this upon a bad person either, but this right. is it's a horrific situation. But uh, there is some good news that I do want to report. And this was from uh, yesterday uh, into this morning. And that is he is only using the ventilator 50%, Correct. which means his lungs are working. Yeah. They're not working to full capacity. They have him lying down on his stomach. Right. That is to take pressure off of his chest. Uh, his uncle went on CNN yesterday and said that they had to resuscitate him twice. His family is now saying that is not true. Right. Which is also good because when you hear that his heart stopped twice, that could just cause more complications. That's also confusing um, though, right? Yeah. Like why would the uncle go on TV and say they had to resuscitate his heart twice and yeah. then the family goes, oops, that wasn't the case. I, I hate that. Either way, though, the fact that he's on 50% oxygen is the best news. Mm -hmm. And we learned during COVID that when you're flipping someone over onto their stomach, that can create a huge change in someone's outcome. Right. So overall, I think we're getting really great news on his overall ability to overcome whatever it well, is that did happen. We don't know a lot. Uh, the family put out a statement today saying that he is showing signs of improvement. But here's the issue. And they haven't talked about his brain. Yeah. Uh, when your brain is without oxygen, could be 30 seconds, could be a minute, every second counts. Uh, there's certain things you'll never get back. I know. Now, I don't know how long his heart was not pumping. What we do know is that they definitely saved his life on the field. Those doctors and those, those trainers, they did everything they could and they probably saved his life. But how long did he not have oxygen to the brain is the real question. Yeah. His lungs could be working and he could be breathing on his own, but is he going to have to learn to talk again? Uh, is there uh, both sides of his brain working properly? To me, that's the key question that we have not uh, had. And, and and I'm sure the doctors know what type of brain activity he has. And maybe it's all there, which I'm hoping and I'm praying for. I think we all are. But when your heart stops and you don't get oxygen to the brain, that is the number one thing that doctors will talk about. Because I've heard that if your brain doesn't get oxygen for as little as 20 to 30 seconds, it could affect you for the rest of your life, even if you're resuscitated. So, um, you know, so like I said, his family is clarifying um, what the uncle said on CNN, which was, seems to be a little bit uh, irresponsible. But I mentioned, Michelle, that a lot of people have come together. I gave a lot of credit to uh, the fans that night very understanding and you could hear a pin drop in there they all knew right away how serious the situation was give the fans a ton of credit both since especially cincinnati uh you know and, and the buffalo fans uh members of the media across the country for the most part have done their due diligence and reported it well uh there are a few people that have not michelle and you were in the news business for uh you were at channel 8 for how long for a very long time i was at channel 8 for uh about seven, eight years. I was yeah. at other TV stations for over 20. Yeah. So I've worked at every network you could imagine. And I do believe that the majority of TV stations have handled this very, very well. No one has been overly speculative. Everyone has covered it with the respect that it truly, truly does deserve. And this is actually one of those stories that is very difficult to cover because mm -hmm. it's kind of a hurry up and wait. You know something horrible has happened on the field. You know that you're going to have to go and sit outside a hospital 
hospital and wait for information. Yeah. You don't want to speculate. You don't, you, you know that you need to interview doctors and no one's going to be able to say, oh, this is what's happened for certain. You want to give people information, but you can't, you can't get too speculative. It's kind of a hard story to cover, but I think most people have done a very, very good job of, of covering the story, advancing the story without, yeah. you know, getting too out there. One of those that made national news and he's one of the most popular uh, sports talk show TV guys is Skip Bayless. And Skip Bayless has been taking a lot of flack. Does a show with Shannon Sharp. And he put out a tweet that a lot of people would call insensitive. Uh, while I do believe he could have chosen his words a little bit better, the more I look at this tweet and the more I read it and think about it, uh, I think people are overreacting. I really do. What did he say? Um, I don't have the tweet right in front of me, but I'm paraphrasing here. He started to talk about Wow, how could the NFL, you know, postpone this game? This is this this game has big playoff ramifications, but he also said right now it doesn't seem to matter. And he was right. And I think people took that the wrong way. They took it as, "Oh, he's saying that they should play the game." What is he saying? And he clarified those comments, but I don't think they were as hateful or insensitive as people are making them out to be. I think he could have chosen his words a little bit better because on that night we shouldn't be talking about the football game at all. We should be talking about this young man, but I've disagreed with a lot of things that Skip Bayless has said over the years. I don't think this is anywhere close. One of the worst things he's ever said. I think what he was, even as soon as I noticed that they postponed the game, I I said, this is huge. I don't think this has ever happened before. And just from a news perspective, I said, wait, this is a huge deal. This has never happened before. And that is hugely significant. That didn't mean that it didn't need to happen. That didn't mean that it wasn't important. But there was news significance to that. So I don't really attack him for saying that either. There was significance in the fact that it was postponed. Yeah. When was the last time that happened, Brian? Well, never. Okay, never. Um, so let me so read you, you the tweet, uh, Michelle, and I want to get your response to it. Here's exactly what Skip Bayless said, and you tell me what you think. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but now, or I'm sorry, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. Yeah, that's not, that's not as, if people are attacking him because of that, they've really taken it too far. He didn't say anything heartless there. He was really stating what was going on at the time. Yesterday, I overreacted. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I called him out for being insensitive. And then the more, maybe my emotions. And the more and more I read this tweet, I realize he's not saying the game shouldn't have been canceled. Right. And at the end of the tweet, if he doesn't say suddenly seems so irrelevant, which he's right. If he didn't say that, then I would have said, yeah, the tone was wrong. Now, could he have worded this a little bit better? Yes. But I think people are misconstrued, and I can't believe I'm going to defend Skip Bayless here, but I think people have misconstrued this tweet. Basically, what he's saying is, boy, how do you do this? This is difficult for the NFL, which I disagree with. It's not difficult. But how can you do it a game of this magnitude? But right now, it seems so irrelevant. And he's right. It is irrelevant. But he is right. This was a game. That was supposed to have super large ramifications on the playoff picture. This right. is a, this is not a Raiders game we're talking about right, here right, right now, right? Exactly. So when he says suddenly seems so irrelevant, I think, I think this is an overreaction. People are calling on him to be fired. Players are going after him. Former players, current players, even his co-host Shannon Sharp, who played in the NFL and had a great career, didn't even show up yesterday to work because Dang. He was, and again, I don't like Skip Bayless. I think he's just another loudmouth. But he's extremely opinionated and um, sounds like I'm describing myself, only he makes about $30 million a year more than I do. But uh, but I think people are overreacting from this. But Michelle, let me uh, name some of the uh, big, big names in sports. 
that are coming out. Um, Tom Brady's one of them. He donated a lot of money to this kid's uh, toy drive. I don't know if you heard of it. Yep. It was supposed to have $2,500 as the goal. It's over $5 million now, which is great. I love it when people are able to express themselves in such a wonderful way that you're actually helping people. Uh, I think that's so great. Uh, LeBron James had some comments after uh, his Laker game the other day, and he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he basically said thoughts and prayers to the family. You know, football is such a physical game and uh, we you know they put their lives on the line and and lebron said some really nice things about it uh drew Brees also offering uh words of support uh thankful for our communities in cincinnati and uh, and buffalo for the overwhelming level of care and support i know they'll continue to provide uh donovan mitchell on what was a historic basketball night for him he scored 71 points and the first thing he talked about was not his performance in the press conference, uh, he talked about prayers for the Bills' safety, which I thought was uh, a classy move. Um, you know, people all over the place, as I mentioned, uh, everywhere, not just uh, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, uh, Donovan Mitchell, but celebrities, you know, big names all over the country. So I have a question. And yes. this is, I know people have donated to the charity, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. But mm-hmm. this kid is 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I do not believe this kid is is well to do while he probably makes you know maybe a million or so dollars he's a millionaire sure but i don't believe he came from great wealth he did not and i believe that there is a a high likelihood that his medical bills are astounding at this point um i i think i'm pretty sure that with the players union in the nfl i'm pretty sure that the nfl will be taking care of his medical bills okay that was what i was gonna yeah somebody take care of this yeah his medical bills are going to be taken care of and and i'm pretty sure the nfl uh with the players union they have a deal in place where if something happens to you uh on the field the nfl is required to pay for it uh so i think he's going to be okay there but what if something happens to you on the field and the the rest of your life is now forever changed um so it's gotten a lot better than it was even five years ago if you remember that movie concussion uh, with will smith uh the nfl basically did almost nothing to help players that were suffering from uh brain injuries uh but that has changed now uh with the players union and the agreements that they have in place uh most of these players that have issues now post-retirement uh, are getting the help that they need it doesn't mean the nfl could be couldn't be doing more because they should be doing more here's the thing the nfl is a very football is a very violent sport yeah boxing is a very violent sport we had a couple boxers that died in the last several years sadly that is the risk you take when you decide to be a professional boxer or a professional football player doesn't mean we can't have better equipment doesn't mean we can't have higher standards to help protect players or boxers but once in a while, sadly, one is too many. These rare occurrences are going to happen. And I will make the analogy to being a police officer in this aspect. Police yeah. officers, for the most part, I believe are heroes. I am pro-blue, just as I am pro-Black Lives Matter movement. Sadly, you're dealing with scum of the earth every day. There are going to be some officers. I wish the number was zero, but there are going to be some police officers that lose their life. We recently lost a Metro police officer here in Las Vegas a few months ago. Uh, Officer Ty, I believe his name was. So, and I would never say to the family, well, you know what? He signed up. He knew what he was signed up for. That is completely insensitive. And I would never talk like that. All I am simply saying is that when you sign up to do a job, you understand the dangers of what the job are. You hope it never happens to you, but you have to understand you're not working in an office. 
Sure. You're getting paid a lot of money to be a professional athlete, and you're going to have to risk your life and put your life on the line to play the sport of football. It is a very dangerous sport. Players have gotten paralyzed. We've had tons of brain injuries, players committing suicide years after, you know, that. It is a very dangerous sport. What I don't like, Michelle, and I wanted to bring this up to you, is there are right-wing buffoons out there, both locally and nationally, (laughs) that are claiming that the vaccine was to blame. This kid took a hit to the chest. What we've learned from doctors all over the place, including doctors that have appeared on Fox News and even Newsmax, they've all said the same thing, that if you get hit and take a blow to the chest at the exact millisecond of your heart beating at a specific moment, that this can happen. It is very rare, but the electric shock of your heart will stop. And there is a word for it, and I'm forgetting the word for it, and that's what happened here. I just find it so ignorant and so disrespectful and so stupid to turn this into the vaccines. And I will mention a few names locally of some morons here that have done it, Joey Gilbert being one of them who ran for governor as a Republican. He's saying that this was the vaccine and hundreds of athletes are dying for the vaccine. That is a lie. That is not true. Mindy Robinson, another moron who is shouldn't is not known for running for office twice and getting embarrassed. She's known for her Skinamax movies that she's done. And all due respect to her, I'm going to the AVN Expo right after the show, Michelle. So I have nothing. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I'm just saying. You're a fan of her porn. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. But, <laughs> okay. but but I would say that I wouldn't be going to the AVN Expo to get medical information from some of these actors I and actresses. I hope not. No. Please don't. But, Please but don't. why is it, Michelle, that it's only people on the right that are spreading misinformation about the vaccines? You know, I, 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 uh, I saw some of those posts as well as soon as this happened and people immediately were like, Oh, it's the vaccine and young people are, are dropping dead because of the vaccine. And I, I was totally alarmed by that as well because I'm like, wait a minute. How do you tie this to the vaccine? This poor young right. guy is 24 years old. Yeah. He took a huge hit to the chest. Something tragic has happened to him. And do we even know he was vaccinated? No. How do you know? Like, do not make these dramatic leaps. It's so irresponsible. It's so, it's, it's the worst type of journalism. It's the worst type of just everything that you could possibly be. And I absolutely hate it and despise it as well. So I, I don't know how you make these types of, of leaps. It's irresponsible. It's it's disgusting. It's gross. Um, if you have concerns about the vaccine, that's fine. But you cannot make these types right. of leaps. It, it's 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 insane. It's stupid. It's irresponsible. That's the only thing I can describe. And I agree with you. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be going to Joey Gilbert or Mindy Robinson or any other <laughs> porn star for that matter for any other, you know, medical information. If you go to a porn star for medical information, um, that's unless it's to like how to handle crabs or something like that. Like really (laughs) that you're just, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, so don't do that. Um, I also wonder though about this, uh, who the, the poor guy, whoever hit him. Yeah. I wonder how he feels because I know the poor guy who hit him knows he didn't do this. Of course. But I mean, I wonder if there's just a part of him. Fair point. Yeah. Who's just like, what if I hadn't hit him? You know what what I mean? You look at, I agree. That's a good point. Devastating. Look, if you watch the video and you look at the players, they were crumbling to the ground. I know. Like they just learned that they had lost, uh, you know, a a sister or a brother or a father or a mother. I mean, this is your teammate. This is your family member. This is your teammate. They're a close knit family. And he was electrically shocked. Yes. uh, On the field. Numerous times for nine, 10 minutes. And that is, 
traumatizing to have to see something like, listen, to an EMT worker, they see that stuff every day, right? But to regular, ordinary people, whether you're a professional athlete or somebody like you or me, that's not something you see every day. And this is somebody that is your brother, right? This is, this is your teammate. So these players are, I would imagine, they're going to need some counseling, coaching staff. And how do they go on, Brian? So I'm assuming since these are playoff contenders, uh, how do they play Sunday? Or or how do they play? Yeah. I mean. It's a fair question. So here, here would be, it's a good question. This would be my best answer to that. When he gets off that ventilator, and I I think he will, he's being the best care. I think that is going to be a sigh of relief for everybody. Forget about it. He'll probably never play football again. I know. But nobody's thinking about that right now. The family just wants him to survive this and, and hopefully he can live a normal life again. If he can get off that ventilator and he can start talking, I think the players are going to be okay. They're going to be like, all right, my man's going to make it. He'll probably never be the same, but we're going to be there for him. Let's win this one for him. When you're still on that ventilator... Things are, he's still in critical condition. If they can get him in stable condition, he is in one of the best medical facilities in the country, maybe even in the world for this type of trauma. I think that's the key. If this kid is still on a ventilator, it's going to be really difficult for those guys to get on the field and be professional. Exactly. I don't is, know. You know, I shouldn't say that. This isn't about being professional. It's about being a human being. Um, you can't just tell guys, Hey, get on the field. Let's win one for the Gipper. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's to me, that's. The turning of the guard here. The problem is, and I hate to bring up money, but the NFL is a business. Yeah. And we're not talking about the Raiders that have no chance of making the playoffs, right? The Bills are a playoff team. In fact, they're one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I am talking about football now. At some point, whether he's on a ventilator or not, the Bills are going to have to finish out the season. They just have to. Right. Um, now, how they go about doing that, I don't know. I feel for them. But you're going to have to take the attitude of, we're going to win for this one for our brother. Yeah. You know, what a great story it would be. And I'm just getting a little ahead of myself here, but man, what a great story it would be if the Bills could win the Super Bowl. Well, now everybody and their brother wants the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Let's just be honest about that. I think that would be such a, one of the best stories in the history of sports. I think it'd be great. And And maybe, maybe, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but if we can get this kid, if he can get off that ventilator, he could start breathing again, even if he could watch the game on television. Right. uh, Just get a video of him watching his team play. and I get just, him that ring. Man. Yeah, I think that would be so uh, so cool. And to I see know that. that you're not a particularly religious guy, mm-hmm. but not particularly, not particularly. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've discussed this a lot. But sure. I will say that I know that in the past you're someone who's always been, you know, you kind of bristle when people say thoughts and prayers. I but don't. I, I don't. I don't. Can but, I just clarify that? Okay. Okay. And then I want to give you time to okay clarify your point. Yes. I don't bristle and get upset when people say thoughts and prayers. I get angry when many of the Republicans, after a mass shooting, say thoughts and prayers, and they don't do anything about policy, gun control. I think it's great when people say, man, thoughts and prayers to you and your family. But when we're talking about politicians that do it time and time again, and then they keep voting down these gun legislation bills, do you see what I'm saying? That's what gets me angry. Thoughts and prayers is great. I think all these friends and family members and the country saying thoughts and prayers to this man's family is great. What I saw was... You you saw a country at the moment that basically you saw that we were a country of faith at the moment because you saw guys, sportscasters on TV saying like, I don't know what to do right now, but I think we need to pray for him. Right. You saw players on the field who probably were men of faith and men who weren't of faith say, Correct. I'm going to get on the field and pray. You saw people on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, everywhere saying like, we need to pray for this guy right now because collectively as as a country, as a, as a moment, the world said, oh my God, this is bad and we need to pray. Mm-hmm. And that touched my heart because we do 
have these moments. There are still these moments where we as a nation come together and we're human beings and we aren't Republicans. We aren't Democrats. We are just these people who, who love one another and we do have faith. We do believe mm-hmm. in God and we do say, God, if you are there, work a miracle, do something now. And I love that we still have those moments. To me, that yes. was a huge moment. Yeah, absolutely. Except for the, again, uh, not to belabor the point, but the small percentage of idiots that are claiming that the vaccine had something to do with this. Well, and they probably didn't pray. Now, did they? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But they're idiots, whether they prayed or not, uh, to say that the vaccine was a part of this. But I agree with you for the most part. Uh, uh, it was nice to see people come together and all agree on something. It seems like in this day and age, uh, we don't we don't get it. All right. Well, she's uh, Michelle Mortensen, eight-time Emmy winner from uh, Channel 8. Uh, I'm Brian Shapiro. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sw- We'll get back to this topic a little bit later on in the show as we have uh, Matt Perino joining us. He's the Buffalo Bill beat reporter for Syracuse.com. He was in the stadium when this all happened. Wow. Crazy. So look forward to speaking with him. But coming up next uh, is... Mr. McCarthy going to be the House Speaker? He's failed now five times in these votes. Uh, this is a crazy situation from the legal perspective. W- w- what does this mean for McCarthy? Can he still be the House Speaker? Well, Politico's very own Daniel Lippman will be joining us next. Great reporter. Love having him on. So we'll talk to Daniel next. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. You are listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is. Because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes and more. 
They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a very busy Wednesday. We'll get back to the situation uh, with the Buffalo Bills and and, uh, many of the players, by the way, still in Cincinnati. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. McCarthy's got some problems. I think that would be an understatement. Uh, My understanding is now a fifth vote. McCarthy has failed. This is uh, unprecedented territory. I figured what better person to lay this all out? Someone who I really enjoy speaking to, a great reporter for Political. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Daniel Lippman joining us right now on the line. Uh, Daniel, appreciate you coming on. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Daniel. Well, this is uh, was this surprising to you? I guess what is your first reaction uh, to all of what has transpired in Washington, D.C. now f- the fifth time it appears as though McCarthy has failed? Yeah, it's not super surprising given uh, that he has had a lot of trouble last uh, yesterday rallying up votes, uh, and he has had issues with his conservative base for years. They have not been happy with him. They thought they have thought he's too establishment. Uh, they don't care that he's kind of puckered up to Trump. Uh, they don't think that he's a true believer. They think that he's a careerist, and so you're seeing the fruits of that discontent. Yeah. Uh, you know, before our very eyes. What did you make of the images and the video of Ocasio-Cortez having conversation with Gosart and uh, Matt Gates? Like, what did you what did you make of that? Because that's not something we see every day, right? Not often. And <laughs> so I wish I was, you know, could hear everything they were saying. Uh, but there's, you know, a, a microphone nearby. Uh, but, you know, there's ways that... Uh, you know, maybe they were telling uh, Cortez, you know, AOC, hey, don't have Democrats make a deal between McCarthy and Democrats where there's like a coalition government almost <laughs> where McCarthy can get through or there's another candidate uh, who gets help from Democrats in terms of being speaker. But it's very unprecedented. And, you know, there's a lot of horse trading being done to try to see how do we get out of this mess because, you know, we do need a speaker one day uh, to pass bills and to, you know, none of those congressmen have been sworn in yet because there's no speaker. 
So can you explain to me, Daniel, the legalities of all this? Is there still a pathway where McCarthy could be the speaker? Where do we go from here? Can you explain it to our listeners and to me? Because I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, I mean, this is what you do for a living. Explain to me how this will be worked out in one way or another. So either McCarthy or either the less rebellious rebels will kind of come along and he will work out some type of deal. He'll give them prize committees or he'll sweep the pot for them so that they fall away and, um, you know, don't uh, object to him anymore uh, to get him down to, you know, that level where he can, you know, I think it's four, uh, you know, he can, he can't have more than four people object um, or, uh, they, you know, he'll get tired of all these ballots and he will realize that this is not going anywhere. It's kind of a, uh, whoever blinks first game, uh, and then someone else will come up, maybe a Steve Scalise, uh, or a, a more, you know, Jim moderate, Jordan. a Jim Jordan even, but I think Steve Scalise would be more likely. Mm-hmm. He is pal- more palatable to everyone involved. He's not seen as a strong ideologue. Uh, but is seen as pretty conservative. So yeah. uh, the Taliban 19 or Taliban 20, as they're being called now, mm-hmm. they uh, they would be okay with Scalise. Um, or you have a candidate uh, from outside, you know, maybe a retired Republican governor. Uh, but we're not going to see Hakeem Jeffries be speaker because no. – um, you know, it's, I don't think Republicans are going to go for that. Impossible. If you're just joining us, he is Daniel Lettman, reporter for Politico. We're talking about the McCarthy situation in DC right now. All right. So isn't it amazing to me, Daniel, that it appears to me that everything and anything that McCarthy has done publicly, everything he said is for one reason, for the most part, one reason only. So he can remain in power and be the speaker of the house, whether it would be kissing up to Donald Trump and kissing his feet or saying all the right things for the Republicans to to get that red meat. It seems to me that what he's done over the last several years is for this moment. And it seems like it hasn't worked. No, this guy is, um, he was born to want to be speaker. Uh, he is a, you know, house and an animal of the house. Uh, he loves the place and the institution. Um, he doesn't care too much about, you know, politics or policy, and so, but he he loves kind of the the uh, you know the the the, the trading of uh, you know the horse trading, um, and you know this is someone who has been in politics his whole life. He comes from a middle class background, and so you know he is gotten probably loving the attention, but all for the wrong reasons. Not as bad as George Santos, who is uh, yeah. you know the disgraced congressman from New York who was just sworn in or not sworn in, but you know who assumed office yesterday and was all alone on the house floor you guys have done a you you know i wanted to ask you about that daniel because you guys have done a really good job in covering that story uh what do you make of in dc republicans that are saying well listen if you want santos uh out and you want him to step down then, then what about elizabeth warren and what about all these other people that have lied and i just feel like it's such a false comparison and analogy right because it appears as though santos i know we're changing the subject a little bit but it seems as though santos has lied about almost everything in his resume right yeah this is not just some you know one aspect of his resume this is basically his entire resume and so the comparisons are not really i would kind of disagree with them um and i think he uh, he may end up 
you know, not liking it, but you know, it is a job. And so he would get paid money, you know, $160,000. And so that's more than more money than he's probably made in uh, other parts of his life. So, you know, you get staff, you get an office, you get, you know, free flights to DC and, uh, he can, you know, but it's going to be hard for him to raise money. I don't expect him to serve more than one term. Yeah, this is where the Republican Party is at right now. I guess uh, my final question when it comes to the McCarthy stuff, going back to that, is how do you see this thing playing out? I mean, uh, how do you predict it playing out? you still think there's a, a decent chance that McCarthy could still be the speaker? Or as you mentioned, uh, you think Scalise is now pretty much uh, the favorite? It's uh, too early to tell. Um, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball, but... This is not a, even if McCarthy gets, you know, if there's some miracle that he can uh, become speaker, he's going to be a very weak speaker. And uh, it's going to be impossible for him to kind of exert his his will because he's going to be held hostage by everyone in his uh, clock, in his conference. I, I tend to agree with you on that, Daniel. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, as always, my friend, uh, keep up the good work over there at Politico. You're a great reporter, and uh, I'm sure we will talk to you soon, my friend. Uh, thank you so much. Have a good Thanks. rest of your week. Okay. Thanks, you too. Appreciate that. That's Daniel uh, Littman. Uh, <clears throat> great great reporter for uh, Politico, by the way, and I uh, really appreciate having him on. Michelle, what are your thoughts on uh his responses and what he said about this situation? Well, I think what's interesting is – so. Uh, you know, we've had five votes now. McCarthy keeps losing. McCarthy is going to lose. It, it, it's not going to happen for McCarthy. And the 20 holdouts, they keep saying, you know, I, I want all these concessions. I want something. I want a pink and chartreuse and purple unicorn. And so they keep negotiating and, and McCarthy goes, all right, I'll get you the pink and chartreuse and purple unicorn. And they go, Ooh, sorry. Yeah. It's the wrong shade of chartreuse. <laughs> Our bad. And then I saw an interview with Byron Donaldson, who's the who the twenty votes keep going towards. And and Byron goes, yeah, it's probably not going to be me. I'm, I'm probably not the dude. Everyone says it's going to be Scalise, but I keep Scalise never gets nominated. Mm-hmm. You know they they quit. They they're never putting his name up there. So my big question is why? Why the holdout? If I could have asked Lipman that question, that would have been my question. Why do we keep putting up Byron's name up there? Why do we keep putting McCarthy's name up there? Why why don't we throw up Scalise's name and get this show on the road? By the road? way, Byron is a complete fool. If you look at his uh, social media page, it's 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 right wing well, buffoonery. A lot of this is um, inside baseball things that people don't know about. So Byron really wanted a position. He wanted to be whip, and he was tired of Elise Stefanik having these higher up positions with McCarthy. So there was a lot of battle going on back and forth for the past couple of months, where Byron wanted to get a higher up position and be a whip, and he wanted to kind of step over Elise. Stefanik. So a lot of this political backyard stuff that no inside baseball stuff that nobody knew about has been going on for months. And this is a lot of power play nonsense that's going on. And now everyone's kind of seen it. And still, if you don't really know the inside baseball stuff, you're, you're seeing it play out and you still don't understand why, which is why I come back to oh, why haven't they nominated Scalise yet? Like, yeah. does McCarthy just enjoy this humiliation day after day? Does he want to go? I think for, he like, does. But why is he that, is he that much of a sadist? What Littman just said, I think he likes to be the center of attention. Let me ask you another question. Who do you think is more of a despicable human being, uh, McCarthy or Jim Jordan? I mean, because Matt Gates goes up there. And by the way, not a shocker that a guy like a Matt Gates, who is just another horrific human being, uh, I'd like to see his Venmo account. But anyway, another guy, he's up there yesterday saying how Jim Jordan would be the great 
Speaker of the House. Here's a guy who allowed uh, kids to be allegedly raped uh, when he was a wrestling coach out there. And all he does is complain about Democrats and, and, and literally has not passed one bill. I think of a guy like Scalise. He is another guy on the alt far right who has worn the Donald Trump knee pads for years. But I will say Scalise, I don't think he rises to the level of despicable uh, or despicableness, if that is even a word, when it comes to McCarthy and Jim Jordan. Who's worse? Who would you rather well, see? You're a Republican. But, OK, but so here's the thing. Jim Jordan has come out and said, I don't want the job. So Jim Jordan does not want it. He said, I don't want it. Jim Jordan has been voting for Kevin McCarthy. He's not one of the 20 holdouts voting for Byron Donaldson. So, again, we've got narratives here that are going out by some on the left that aren't even the true narratives. Yeah. Now, Matt Getz is a troublemaker. Maker who's like, Matt Getz is like, oh, Donald Trump wants us to vote for McCarthy? That's sad. He, Matt Getz is a troublemaker. And that's really what I want to point out, is you've got 20 buffoons out there in the Republican Party who are literally causing trouble right now who don't listen to anyone. They don't listen to Trump. They don't listen to the Republican Party. They don't listen to the other members of the party. They are just causing drama and trouble. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and I want you to know, guess who's not a part of that? Hard to believe I'm about to say this. Marjorie Taylor Greene, not a part of this. Jim Jordan, not a part of this. It is hard to believe. Hardly believe I'm saying it myself. But you've got a real random group of folks right now who are being the troublemakers. Isn't and this an embarrassment? Let me start here. I believe it's an embarrassment to the country. I really do. But I also believe it's a bigger embarrassment to the Republican Party. As a Republican, don't you think this is an embarrassment? I mean, when you look at Democrats, they rally around Jeffries, right? They all support this man. He's a good man. He's a good speaker. Uh, maybe Republicans don't agree with him on a lot of issues, but he's a decent man. Right. Uh, so Democrats have always been very good at rallying around their person. So even if they despise their person, they're going to rally around that person. Mm -hmm. If Bernie is the person, they're rallying. If AOC is the person, they're rallying. Yeah. Republicans have never been good at this. Um, they're actually horrible at this. And I think another important thing is that in the Republican Party, you have a lot of people who are popular, but you don't have a lot of people who are powerful. And, and that's a really big distinction that I think we need to remember is you have a lot of Republicans who are popular, but they lack power. And we're seeing that in full display. Donald Trump, popular, lacks power. Matt Gates, hmm, kind of popular, lacks a lot of power. But don't you think some of these people are popular for the wrong reasons? 100% some of these people are popular for the wrong reasons. Some of these people are popular because they're a life-size Johnny Bravo. That's what mm. I call Matt Getz. You know what I mean? Like he's I call popular him Beavis. Beavis, for, yeah. That's another great one for him. You know, some of these people are popular for the absolute wrong reasons. Yeah. Some of them are popular for being absolutely ineffective. Um, people like Andy Biggs are popular for being just troublemakers and rabble-rousers. Yeah. They're not popular and they're not they're not powerful. And I and, and I wouldn't even say McCarthy is powerful or popular. He has no spine. He, uh, McCarthy has just, he's one of the people who's worked the system long enough yeah. that he's received a place of power because that's the way the House of Representatives works. You sit your rear end there long enough and work your way up to certain certain positions that you're very popular or right. powerful. Dina Titus is someone who's like that. You sit your butt there long enough, you get in certain leadership positions and you become powerful. Doesn't mean that you're popular. And, and 
so um, that's the problem we have with the House of Representatives. One of the things that I think that needs to happen with the House of Representatives is a real clearing of the House. Because yeah. unfortunately, yeah. we elect these new members who end up being freak shows beyond freak shows. And some of the older members who you're like, oh, well, they've got to be normal. You realize that they've just sat their butts there for so long, you didn't realize that they were freak shows. You just got a hot mess in Congress. And we're seeing it more and more. And we're seeing that Congress is just full of ineptitude. It's why we don't get anything done with immigration. It's why we don't get anything done really at all, ever. And and it's why we won't. It, it's becoming more and more of a joke. From someone who's always wanted to be in Congress, maybe I dodged a huge bullet that I've never ended up there. I wouldn't want to be a politician. I wouldn't want to have to work with idiots. Uh, so uh, that's just me personally. Now, maybe now would be a good time to open up the phone lines, whether you're watching the show on social media or you're listening live on the radio. Uh, we talked about the situation in the NFL. We talked about uh, McCarthy. We just had Daniel Lipman on from Politico. What do you think about this McCarthy situation? What do you think about leadership or maybe lack thereof in Washington? A lot of topics we've spoken about. Maybe you have a take and give us a call. 702-221-7283. And again, that number opening up the phone lines now. If you'd like to be a part of the show, now's the time to call and you could uh, mix it up with either me or Michelle. And maybe you agree or disagree with anything that we've said on this show. Gladly take your phone calls. Again, that number is 702-221-7283. Give us a call. And uh, certainly right now talking about McCarthy, the situation in Washington. The interesting thing to me is, you know, McCarthy's a guy who on January 6th basically put a lot of the blame on Donald Trump. I mean, you heard what he said on the House floor, and I agreed with what he said. I said, wow, finally. I said, finally, McCarthy is showing his spine and he's speaking the truth. Yes, Donald Trump is a big part of what why January 6th took place. There's no question about that. And McCarthy basically said that in in the House chambers. I was like, thank God. The, fine, the guy finally showed some spine. And then what does he do a couple days later? Backtracks what he said. Why did he do that? Not because he likes Donald Trump. Not because he even likes part some of the people that he works with or maybe even his supporters. Because he wanted to be the House Speaker. And he knew that if he puts Donald Trump on blast in any way, shape, or form, true or not, it's going to hurt his chances being the Speaker. He's done this for years now. And then he, a week later, he drives out to Mar-a-Lago, remember, and he has a meeting with Donald but Trump. But you see that that's changing now. Because for for Matt Getz, who's been, you know, uh, Donald Trump's, you know calling boy or whatever you want to call it for the longest time to basically say he Donald Trump was sad today for putting his support out for Matt Getz. You're seeing now that Donald Trump does not have the power or the 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 pull that he once did. He is not as influential as he was. I don't think so there in life you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. So a thermometer you're basically just reading the room, but a thermostat controls the temperature of the room. And I think what we're seeing right now is that Donald Trump is basically, he can't read the room or control the temperature of the room. He's just someone who makes a bunch of noise, but he has no more influence or pull anymore. It is waning. So I think we are losing the day where we can look to Donald Trump for anything. It's changing. The times they are are changing. Well, I did feel that way uh, in 2016 as well, but I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton either. But I think uh, Republicans, many of them, even though they won't say it publicly, you will, but many Republicans won't say it publicly. I think they're over Donald Trump and this MAGA moron uh, bullcrap. But anyway, let's take some phone calls. 702-221-7283. And again, that number right now, if you want to be a part of the conversation, give us a call. 221-7283, area code 702. Let's go to John. John, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. What's up, John? Ron, I, th- I think I told you about my uh, journeys to Costco to buy 
popcorn. They had the big 44 packs in a box uh, at Costco. <laughs> and uh, I bought the popcorn to enjoy the destruction of the Republican Party. And, and I felt like maybe 44 wouldn't be enough. So I went back to Costco and I bought another box of 44. So I've got, I started off this week with 88 bags of popcorn and I've blown through five already. And it looks like I might get another bag in today. Uh, so I might need another 44 box of popcorn to enjoy. I mean, absolutely enjoy. Laugh out loud belly laugh, have a couple cocktails, watch the vote, and just pee my pants laughing so hard. John, you're going to make yourself sick. This party, <laughs> this, this buffoonery, these clowns, these con artists. Hey, Al, you listening, Al? This is your part. 10% of your party's clowns and buffoons and con artists. They have no intention of governing. They're there for campaign. Wait, John, 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 you're saying only one out of 10 Republicans? I think that's being very generous, sir. Oh, I agree, but there's 20 that voted against uh, your right, boy. Right, right. Who, who the hell grows up wanting to be Speaker of the House? Anyway, seriously, if you want to be a politician, don't you dream of being president? Who the hell, who the hell says I want to be number three? Seriously. <laughs> Michelle, would you, listen, I, Michelle, I agree with John. Would you like to respond to what he said? He's attacking your party. I mean, I, I don't think this is a good look for our party. I'm not thrilled that it's happening for our party. I do also think, though, that the majority of Americans aren't paying attention. I think you have to be very politically active to be paying attention and, and, and focusing on this right now. Sadly, I think a lot of people are focused on, on other things. I don't know if it's as big of a black eye as the Democrats would hope. Trust me, I, I think it, the, the Democrats are doing exactly what they, sh what I, you would expect them to do. Have the popcorn, be making fun of Republicans. This is exactly what I would expect them to do. I don't think it's the biggest black eye in the world. Did I have a ton of faith in the Republican Party doing great things? this yeah. a year no i didn't have a ton of faith did i think they were going to knock it out of the park no was yeah. i one of the first to say that i had a lot of fear that they were going to do nothing yes um it's not a big enough of a majority and i i don't have a ton of faith in these yeah. guys all right well there you go you heard it john hey uh oh, just one, one yeah. more one more quick hey I, i'm sure every member of the house of representative have a staff member listen to your show every single day brian and take notes as they should <laughs> and i would just encourage the republican staff members michelle is 100 percent correct nobody's watching let kevin drag us out for five more days let's have 15 more votes i got all the popcorn in the world baby you're dead wrong <laughs> John, good to hear from you, my friend, as always. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate you. Uh, so, I love it when John calls in. He's a funny guy. So, and he's usually right. 702-221-7283 is the number to call. Let's go to Trevor. Trevor is next on Pushing the Limits. Hi, Trevor. What's up, man? Fire Bobby Petrino. He's not the answer. Thank you for being on topic, sir. Uh, very Bobby much. Bobby Petrino? Is that what he uh, just said? No, Bobby Petrino. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> glad glad to see glad to see that Trevor was on topic because we're definitely talking about Petrino and UNLV football right now. So uh 702-221-7283 uh is the number to call. If you'd like to call and you'd like to be on topic, I think Trevor was listening maybe to another show. Maybe uh, then uh, you're welcome to call in. We're talking about McCarthy. Uh we're talking about what is taking place in the sea. So John is basically saying that he's got his pop well, that's not basically this is what he's saying. He's got his popcorn, he's enjoying it like he's watching some sort of movie. To Democrats, Michelle, he makes a valid point. Liberals, people on the far left, Democrats are enjoying the Republicans fall apart right now in D.C., right? Yeah. They're enjoying this. Listen, McCarthy's just not a good guy. Okay? He's not a good guy. I don't care if he's a good family man. 
He's a brown noser. You know this. He's brown nosed Donald Trump. Even at times when Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world or Lauren Boebert's of the world make racist statements or do horrific things, he won't talk about it unless he absolutely has to. And then he says he's going to give Marjorie Taylor Greene her assignments back. I mean, this is a bad guy. I would say anybody is a bad person when they're two-faced and when they brown nose. That is who McCarthy is. I wouldn't say he rises to the level of a Jim Jordan or a Marjorie Taylor Greene, but he's right behind them. So I think it's hard to uh, call people good or bad guys at this point. So like when Eric Swalwell was, you know, diddling a spy, uh, people were like, oh, they need to take away his committee assignment. And, you know, Pelosi did nothing. It, I, and that's fine because at some point you have to realize that you're a politician and you have to play a political game and you can't always do the right and moral thing because politics is this shady business that's a swamp for a reason, right? So we're not looking for the highest moral character. It's a dirty, 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 dirty business where you have to play this game of politics where you don't always do what's right. You're doing what's politically advantageous. So I'm not looking for them to be the, the highest of moral character. I, McCarthy's not my favorite politician. He's not going to get the, the highest of accolades from me. If I was there, though, and I was a member of Congress, would I vote for him over Byron Donaldson? Yes, I would, um, because I'd want to get the government going, and I would rather choose him over the, he's the, he's the lesser of evils, right? That's what I would do, and I think that's what the 212 members who keep voting for him are doing, um, but at this point, I would also be whipping up votes for, like, if everyone's going to go for Scalise, let's get Scalise up there. Let's quit wasting time. So, I hear what you're saying. I don't think you should have to vote in people that have the highest moral character. I think there is a fine line between somebody who has the highest moral character and then somebody who defends a man who incited an insurrection where members of his own party and across the aisle, lives were in danger uh, and we had uh, an attack on our democracy. He walked back his statements because he's a coward. I don't think you have to have the highest moral character to at least own the statements that you made, which were, yes, Donald Trump shares responsibility in what took place. McCarthy did not do that because he doesn't have a backbone and he's a coward. And I believe when you care more, and you're right, politics is a very dirty game sometimes. I agree with you. But when you decide that you care more about being in power than telling the truth, when you care more about being in power than threats on our democracy, then to me, in my personal opinion, that makes you a bad guy. Um, and that's why I make that conclusion when it comes to McCarthy. It doesn't mean we have to hire some, you know, it doesn't mean that we need somebody with the highest moral character. Um, but at the same time, because I just don't think you're going to find anyone with the highest moral character over there. I don't think highest moral <laughs> character, but I do think there are politicians in this country that would own their words and admit the fact that, yes, Donald Trump shares in some responsibility for what took place on January 6th. I, you know, there was a time in my life where I was a very idealistic person who really thought that politicians did good. And I wanted to be a politician. You know, I'm the person who named my kid after Reagan. Mm -hmm. I'm the girl who idealized Dan Quayle. You know, there was no... No one who was more Republican and wanted to be a politician more than than this girl right here. And as I've become a part of the system and as I've met these people, there is no one who's been more disillusioned than me. And people who I used to admire, I now hate. People who I used to admire, I now despise. People who I thought had integrity, I now see that they don't. And um, Did you think that Donald Trump had integrity when you voted for him? No. You didn't. No, but there were other people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Do you despise him now? 
because you use that term. I'm just curious. Do you despise Donald Trump? Um, there are people I, um, like who is somebody that you used to admire as a Republican and now as you use the term despise? Mm. I'm curious. I, I don't know if I want to say. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say, I, but why wouldn't you want to say that? I would just though? say this. Yeah. It's so freaking personal. And there are things that I know today that I didn't know when I jumped into this. And you're not talking about Donald Trump. I'm not. Now. Okay. But there's things I'm talking about this state and I'm talking about things that I know now. And, and you know, you know, because you and I talk. Pers- you're talking about local politics. You, you know that there's people yeah. that I know now that I am so disgusted and I am so disillusioned and I am so disappointed. Well, what about the leader of your party here, or at least the chair, Mike McDonald? This is a guy who just pled the fifth over 200 times. He has asked the most basic of questions, Michelle. For example, did you have these meetings and, 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 and fire up a scheme for fake electorates? Michelle, he wouldn't even answer that question. I think we know why. I think we know what the answer is. That's got to disgust you. He's the chair of the party, right? It's got to. I am very disappointed and I'm very disgusted and I'm very heartbroken by so many things that I've seen. And all I can say is that when you tear away the veil and you see, you know, in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And you see the Wizard of Oz and pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Some One of the worst things that can happen sometimes is you see yeah. the man behind the curtain and you find the truth. Sure. And it can be so, it can be so disappointing. Absolutely. And, and I'm so disappointed by so many yeah. things that have happened. No question. And, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking I hear you. To me. I hear you. It's so real and so honest and I'm being so to raw me, to me and it's, real with your listeners and your viewers yeah, and all well, that. And, and I don't know surprising. if it's as appreciated as, as real and I'm as sure, honest as I'm being. Well, I'm sure it is. Uh, 702-221-72. I don't know. John just said, Oh, brother. <laughs> 702-221-7283 is the number to call. Let's go to Dave. Dave is next. What's up, Dave? Hey, good afternoon. Uh, I just I heard Michelle say that she named a kid after uh, Ronald Reagan. And it's interesting to me because I was just thinking about Reagan and his comments, his famous comments, that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Also talked about the government not being the uh, solution but being the problem. Republicans have hated government ever since Reagan. He set that whole agenda in place. And now here they are winning the House majority, as in taking over this portion of the government. And this is how they're handling it. It's sort of like, I I often ask my friends who vote Republican, I say, it's like hiring a chef who hates to cook or a mechanic who hates cars. Mm. They hate government. Isn't Why that, are you voting for them to work in government? Isn't that such a great analogy? And I agree with you, David. And I'm going to go to the abortion issue real quickly here. They want government out of the control of the household, right? Yet they want government, if you ask most Republicans in office, they want the government to tell a woman what to do with her body. Right, David? Uh, well, yeah, that's a little bit of a, a irony there, shall we say, if not a hypocrisy. But, uh, you know, I, I actually think on that topic, it's it's a little more complicated where... In, in, in the, on the question of abortion, yes, there's life there in the womb, right? But earlier stages of human evolution, there was life leading to our life, and that life lived in what was called a, a state of nature, yeah. okay? The only state of nature left in the world today is the womb. And so, you know, in a state of nature, there's no government. It, it pre, predates government. And that's what the Enlightenment was all about, was saying that we've lived in a state of nature 
And now we're going to have this consent of the government to sure. form a social contract, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a very important idea be, behind the founding of America and the fact that people just want to say, oh, life begins at conception. No, life actually began about 3.5 billion years ago, according to the right. Museum of Paleontology at UCAL Berkeley. Okay. Right. Yep. So that's why we call it. That's why we call it reproduction instead of production. Correct. I think. Right? That, I, yeah. No. I, I think. I think you make a lot of valid points there. Uh, final thing. If you don't mind me asking, you are you an independent? Are you a Democrat or you a Republican? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, I'm an independent. Okay, so you're like me. We're we're both independents. When people and uh-huh. you're the, you're the perfect person to ask this question to. When people ask me what Democrats stand for, I have a pretty good idea: equality, LGBT community, people treated fair, helping minorities, helping people that are uh, poor, uh, whether it be maternity leave or welfare or food stamps. Yeah, you want to get people to work, but you also want to help the poor. Those are the basics of taxing the rich of what I believe Democrats stand for. Today, I can't answer a question of of, of what Republicans stand for do you know because i have no idea basically they stand for whatever democrats don't Mm. so they want to be whatever the opposite of a mirror image is in fact a mirror always gets everything exactly backwards so maybe it is a mirror image i'm not sure yeah but republicans just want to reject democrats they want to basically poke fun at people for being woke and all this stuff and they and they want to they want to say you know we're not going there and essentially it's an ideology I think, of complete selfishness. You know, you think about helping the poor, for instance, you mentioned that. It's in the Bible. It's in it's in the Gospel according to Matthew, okay? <laughs> and you have a bunch of Republican Christians running around really downplaying that part of the teaching, you know? And uh, uh, it, we get to a place where basically it's just hypocrisy through and through. It's, it's incredible. Michelle, uh, uh, so, so again, I want to... Dave, I want to interject Michelle with what you just said, and I want you to hang on the line. So, Michelle, you were just shaking your head. Now, I agree with a lot of what David is saying, but you were shaking your head. Where do you disagree with David? I I disagreed with him saying that we're the the party of of, uh, hypocrisy. So I I agreed with him in part that I think that Republicans are a bit confused today and that I don't think they know what they stand for. I think what Donald Trump did when he... Um, became a member of the party and kind of took over is that he brought in a lot of ideas that weren't necessarily Republican ideas. Mm-hmm. They were um, very independent or uh, America first ideas. Uh, they were ideas that weren't necessarily Republican. And then Republicans just gravitated toward them. And they're like, this is who we are now. And they kind of rejected a lot of Republican Reagan-esque ideas. And I think that's why there's a real divide now between Republican and this, this, this MAGA idea. Um, but I, I, and I, I do agree that I, 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 we've discussed this before. I believe that the government should not be involved in, in abortion. I believe that's something that the, the church should be involved in. The community should be involved in that. We as the church and we as the pro-life movement should not be looking at the government to be making these decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with a lot of that, but I don't believe that Republicans or Christians are hypocrites, and and I don't believe that we don't care about the poor. I don't. I don't. I believe that's a misnomer that that people like to say about us overall, and and I think that's an easy way to attack us. That like, oh, that we just hate the poor. Obviously, we don't hate the poor. I think that's just a, a way to attack us all the well, time. Well, David, would you want to respond to that? I, I just would ask which which of the parties came up with the whole idea of welfare queens, which which of the parties 
has voted virtually against every, well, every just because, increase well, just because in government benefits If you don't support welfare, that doesn't now. mean that you're against the poor. It means you're against the welfare program. That doesn't mean you're against the poor. So welfare is a no, program is that, yes, may indeed help people who are poor, but there's arguments that can be made that welfare doesn't help the poor, that it keeps people on welfare. Maybe the better way to help the poor is to help the poor and to help them right. no but longer Right, but I think what, poor. David, David, repeat that term that you just said, because that's a term you hear from Republicans. Say it again so Michelle can hear it. The, the, well, the term I mentioned was welfare queens. It does date back to Reagan, who apparently is one of her favorites, one of Michelle's favorites. And and, uh, uh, and again, I, I want to ask Michelle, um, you know, do you disagree with me that Reagan really very loudly described this position of essentially hating government? You know, government is, this, is the problem, not the solution. Uh, most fearful or terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Oh, no, Reagan absolutely said that. It's one of his greatest quotes. And and But I think what Reagan was saying when he said that is when you come onto the, when it's almost like when the government in a, in a hurricane or in a situation where the government is here to help you in every situation, it was about limited government, not that the government is there to solve every problem in every equation. So I, I think it's about the interpretation of these things. You can't eliminate all government. If you eliminated all government, you would have anarchy and we're obviously not looking for that. Yeah. It's about the definitions of what the government is there to do. And so you don't have to be for welfare to be for the poor. You can be against some things with welfare and still be for the poor. So that's where I like us to be better, to choose our words more carefully. And instead of saying Republicans are always against the poor, to really say what it is we're for and against. We might not like that program. That doesn't mean we're against the poor. That's what I'm against. We, we make it that carefully? we're against people. We're not against people. You might be against did, did some an aspect of a program. Carefully? What's that, David? Did, did President Reagan choose his words carefully when <laughs> Michelle talked about choosing your words more carefully? Did he, did he choose his words carefully in, in this much quoted line about Reagan chose his words very carefully and he was very witty. He was great. Reagan chose his words very carefully. Yeah, and so you're telling me that people have to choose their words more carefully and you shouldn't make blanket statements about things that sounds like a blanket statement to me when you say that in this crisis, government is always part of the problem, or is always the problem, as opposed to the solution. <laughs> or, and this business of the most terrifying words in the English language aren't, you know, this asteroid's about to hit you, but our, I'm from the government. <laughs> I'm here to help. Well, see, you're, yeah, it's, you know, again, see, what you're doing is exactly what I'm talking about. So it's about how you interpret it. So you're interpreting it as a negative. I'm interpreting it as a positive. You say that Republicans are against welfare, so they hate the poor. You're interpreting that to be it. And, and that's just it. It's about interpretation. So Michelle, at the end of the, the day, no one can deny whether you're a Republican fan or if you're, whether you're a Reagan fan or, or a Reagan hater. Reagan was very well loved. Reagan was very eloquent. And at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding because in 1984, he won every single state but one in the Electoral College. Reagan, whether you like him or not, was one of the most beloved presidents of all time and was one of the most successful presidents. And he was the last president to give us immigration reform. So he was also one of the most successful presidents. And he's done something no one else since him has been able to do. So let's not attack Reagan. He's been one of our most successful presidents of all time. So you're you're saying that you interpret this positively, the statement about most terrifying words in the English language. Tell me, is the phrase most terrifying, is that a positive phrase or a negative phrase? In many cases, when the government is showing up, it is terrifying because we don't need the government to show up in every situation. We don't need the government to be involved in every single situation. 
So he didn't he didn't delineate between the situations. At no, all he didn't. Where government deli- needs to you be know what? I would have government. to go back and look at the speech no. in which he gave it. Because yeah. I don't remember well, right you know now. What? We will, we will, uh, David, I want you to call back. Well, you can call back anytime you like, but when Michelle's back in and Michelle's going to look into that. But David, great call. I, I like a good debate and I appreciate you calling in, my friend. Thank you so much. Okay. Alrighty. Have a good one. You too. All right. So Michelle, let me address a couple things of, of what I, where I think David was going and then you can tell me whether you disagree or not. Um, I do think today when it comes to many Republicans, particularly those that are in office, they are, complete hypocrites. And I'll give you a couple perfect examples why. First of all, they talk about the pro-life stance, yet they are against every governmental program that could help that mother raise that child. Could be maternity leave, could be welfare, could be food stamps. Anything that could help that mother raise that child after the baby is born, they're against, yet they call themselves pro-life. To me, that's the definition of hypocrisy. We talk about that baby formula bill. Republicans for months... We're attacking Joe Biden and Republicans, by the way, uh, and Democrats for this baby formula shortage, which, by the way, was not Joe Biden's fault. So what did Joe Biden do? What did the Democrats do? They came up with a bill, a bill that would push money and get baby formula on the shelves to help babies. What did the Republicans do? They all voted against it. Why? I mean, they pretty much admit it because they don't want Joe Biden to succeed. That is the definition of hypocrisy. Today, Joe Biden did something that I am very proud of. And that nobody's talking about because I am a diabetic and the cap on insulin prices he put at $35. He was able to pass that bill, something that Donald Trump never did. And for years, Republicans, even six months ago, Joe Biden tried to pass this. Who voted against it? Republicans. Um, when we came to helping our veterans, having the breathing issues that they had. Remember, John Stewart got involved with this. Every Democrat was on board with this bill. Republicans want to say that they care about our troops, our brave men in uniform, brave men and women in uniform, yet they don't even want to give them proper health care. That is the definition of hypocrisy. And then I'm going to talk about election integrity. Okay. Back when Al Gore was running for president, I think we all could agree, very tight race. It came down to a couple hundred votes in a city in Florida. In a, I mean, that's how close this was. And you heard just about every Republican say, oh, the election's over. We don't need a recount. It's over. Everything was fair and square. What did Al Gore do? He eventually conceded, and he showed class. We hear nothing but the opposite, but some of those same Republicans who said George W. Bush won fair and square, even though it was down to a couple hundred votes. Maybe he did win fair and square, but that was a different circumstance than what has been going on today. That is the definition of hypocrisy. Why is it that only apparently only Republicans say only Democrats can cheat in elections, right? Somebody like a Kerry Lake, complete hypocrisy. If I win, everything's okay. I won. Everything's fine. But if I lose, I'm not going to concede and it must have been cheating. So I'm not saying that every Republican is a hypocrite. But today in the political spectrum that we are living in, most Republicans are hypocrites. And I just gave you what I believe to be several very prime examples. I, I I think you have two examples of Republicans who are hypocrites. They're notable ones. Donald Trump and Carrie Lake. They're the ones who are refusing to concede. Concede. They're the ones who want, like, let's revote in Maricopa County. They're the ones who refuse to acknowledge. But the truth of the matter is the majority of Republicans, when they lose an election, they do concede. The majority, um, I know there's, there's a Republican that a lot of Republicans in this state don't like, uh, Michael Robertson. But, uh, when he lost in 2018 for lieutenant governor, 
I had never witnessed someone lose with more dignity and more grace and more elegance than Michael Robertson. It was actually a beautiful thing to watch because he's in a suite. You see that he lost. And I'd never seen anyone champion and cheer on everyone who did win and just concede and lose with such elegance and grace. I mean, it was just it was a beautiful thing to see. It was one of the things that taught me how to lose with grace and dignity because it was just you cheer on those who won and you move on because losing is not the end of the world. When you lose in a election as someone who's lost, it can be devastating, okay? So I'm not going to deny that. It is devastating to lose, but you move on. It's not the end of the world when you lose. Your life is not over. Your life has not ended, and you move on, and you do it to Michelle, I don't disagree with you. I think everything you're saying is is very fair, and I wish many Republicans would would take that advice. Well, two didn't do it. Two. Two. Not all. But more than two. Who who are the other two who haven't? Okay, so just because you you lose an election and you contest it, I'm not just talking talking about that. I'm talking about the Republicans in office right now that still are not willing to admit that Joe Biden won a free and fair election. To me, that's just as bad because you're attacking democracy so doing both. So what Republican who's still in office is still believing that like Donald Trump's president? Who? Okay. It's not willing to say that Joe Biden is president. Obviously, he's president. It's those that are not willing to say that he won a free and fair election. Half of the Republican Party on record refused to say that. Literally half. Everybody from Jim Jordan to Matt Gates to even McCarthy. And I think they do that because they're afraid of uh, the base, because they're afraid of voters, because they're they capitulate to to the base because of popularity, because of Trump. You know what that's popularity. like saying? That's like saying uh, I'm going to tell everybody to not drink soda. Uh, because it causes cancer. I'm not saying they should I mean, do it. I'm not saying they should do it. I'm just saying that I think the majority of people know that Joe Biden is president. I think the majority of people know that he won. I think the majority of people live in this normal, rational world, and I don't think they live in la-la land. So I agree with you. <laughs> I believe, but I'll take it a step further. It's been proven. Donald Trump knows he lost. Yes. Carrie Lake knows he lost. Yeah. That's not the issue. The issue is lying, attacking our democracy and lying. Because when you do things like this, you get something called January 6th. And that's my that that's my issue here. It's not whether or not they actually true. Now, there are an ignorant part of the Republican Party that are living in this country that probably do believe Trump still won in 2020. I'm not talking about them. They're morons. They're, they're very stupid human beings that think that Chuck Schumer created the coronavirus. I'm not talking about these conspiracy theorist morons. And I had a conversation with one of them yesterday, by the way. I'm talking about people in office, elected officials that I agree with you, that know that Donald Trump lost, yet they are not willing to admit, not that Joe Biden is president, but that Joe Biden won a free and fair election. To me, that is despicable. We can disagree on policy. If you want elections to be more secure, even though it's interesting because Republicans weren't talking about this in 2016 when Trump won. But if you want to have that fair conversation and say, hey, maybe there's things we could do that can make voting a little easier. I would also argue that Republicans want to make voting more difficult Um, in the history of this country. That's what they've done. Let's let's throw out mail-in ballots. Oh, okay. Even though Donald Trump is the one that mail-in put in a mail-in ballot himself, um, we should be making voting easier for people. Republicans aren't making it easier for people. It's not Democrats that are making it harder. But I, I just think when we use the term hypocrisy and my biggest criticisms of Republicans today, these are the issues that I talk about. Well, and I think the Republicans who say these things that irritate you so much are also Republicans that if you look at them, they're Republicans who are in extremely safe districts who have 
there's no way they're ever going to lose. Yes. So the Jim Jordans and the Matt Getzes of the world and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, my gosh, they could say anything. They could yeah. run around and say the earth is flat and the sky is purple yeah. and actually aliens control the Illuminati yeah. and uh, or, or Jews are pointing space lasers. <laughs> and right, they can say right. <laughs> they can say whatever and it's totally okay. So again, I can't allow or I, I don't want to play into see that's the majority of Republicans because it's not. You're talking about this this these twenty people who have the safest districts on earth that can say whatever they want. They can say we didn't really land on the moon and it was done in a green screen in a studio. The Earth this flat yeah. and everything else under the sun. I don't care what they have to say in their immensely safe district where they can get away with that. Yeah. The majority of Republicans don't function that way. The majority of Republicans don't think that way. And I believe the majority of Republicans want to get work done. The problem is, is that we don't have the majority of that in Congress to get that work done. So here's where I disagree with you. <clears throat> In polls across the country, polling Republicans, most polls show that at least six out of 10 Republicans still believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. If, in fact, most Republicans are what you say they are, then why do they believe in a lie? So most people who take polls and as someone who's been polled a lot and I know a lot of people who work in politics, most people who take polls do lie. Um, every time I've taken a poll, I lie. I will be a 95-year-old non-binary communist. Uh, I will be, you know. Why? I don't understand. Why would somebody lie in a poll? It's to mess with polls. It's because you. So you don't believe that six out of 10 Republicans believe that? No. You think they're lying? I, I, almost everyone I know messes with polls. Yes. Because remember, okay. all polls are done basically on cell phones now. And I don't understand why you would lie about something like that. Why wouldn't you just admit that Trump didn't win? Like, I don't understand to mess with it's a poll. Because I, I, on, half the time, I mean, I do know a lot of political people, but half the yeah. time you know exactly who the poll's coming from and you're trying to mess with people's data. Okay, well, that's pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> miserable. Then I guess we could say six out of 10 Republicans are miserable people. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. that That's not an excuse. I, I'm I mean, just being honest. I'm, yeah. I lie in polls all the time. I don't lie in a poll. I, I, mean, I lie in I've every been single poll. Before. Yes, I'm voting for Danny Tarkanian. Yeah. Yes, I'm the, I, I lie in polls. Yeah, well, we know all that's not true. Well, I don't exactly. know why. I don't that's know. what I'm saying. So I don't trust polls at all. And in my, in all my years in news, I have never trusted a poll. Polls are the biggest waste of time, they're the biggest waste of news full filler. They're basically like, oh, we've got right. nothing else to report on, so let's report on a poll. All right. Well, I mean, they're, they're okay. just nonsense. I could give a rats about a poll. All right. Well, I mean, I have talked to many Republicans in the last year or so that still think that Donald Trump won in 2020. Those conversations are very short, and I usually, I, yeah, uh, I usually don't have conversations with people like that. Sometimes people call into this show and they but they make claims honest. like that. But the conversations you've had with people who do that are also people like Joey Gilbert and and Mindy Robinson, who we've discussed earlier. Joey Gilbert almost became our governor, though. He what is that? Did not he was second. Become Hold on our a second. Governor. Out of all the Republicans that ran for office, he got the second most votes in this state. Don't and you think that's still, a little bit problematic he for Republicans? Still got his rear end kicked. But of all the people that ran, he was second. You would never see a Democrat coming up second that believed in the horse crap that Joey Gilbert believes in. What does that say about the Republican Party? They like conspiracy theorists, nut jobs who are not qualified for office. Am I happy that it was Joe Lombardo and not Joey Gilbert? Yes. Okay. But what does that say about the Republican Party? I know I keep asking it, it you that. It does say that there are some in this state 
who are not the sharpest knives in the drawer. <laughs> well, that's for sure. That's all I can say. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm glad he didn't win. But I mean, Joey Gilbert was also one of those people that uh, said that it was uh, a vaccine. That uh, caused this young football player to collapse. I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't want to listen to, you know, people like that. So, again, that, that's where, like, I don't want to – I hate it when we give too much credence to the Joey Gilberts of the world, right? Because Well, I'm not. He's an idiot. But, uh, but, but again, like, I don't want to associate Republicans with the Joey Gilberts of the world because the Joey Gilberts of the world are, are idiots like Mindy Robinson. If yeah. we want to talk about quality porn stars and you want to bring up Mindy <laughs> Robinson, have at it. But when yeah. we want to talk no, about Republican you. issues, okay. I don't want to talk but Michelle, about Mindy. But Michelle, you're putting yourself in a corner here and I'll tell you why. Wow. The faces of the Republican Party, who are they? The most popular, as you say, in the Republican Party today, Jim Jordan. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, these are the people that are the faces of your party. And while there are some reasonable Republicans out there, the ones who are the most popular, if you look at social media, if you look at, you know, TV appearances, you name it, those despicable Republicans are the faces of your party. We're not talking about like a John McCain, right? Who is, a, in my opinion, I have the utmost respect for John McCain. Uh, good man respected the hell out of him, didn't always agree with him. And I'll say this, I don't like almost anything Liz Cheney stands for. I disagree with her on almost every policy that she has voted for. I hate her politics, but I don't hate the person because when it's said and done, she would still be in office today if she didn't stand for what was right. So I have respect for her. How many Liz Cheneys are there out there within the Republican Party? Well, let me let me put it to you this way. So you can have a Republican like me, attractive gal, in her little plaid banana republic blazer. <laughs> you can have me on who's pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Or you can have crazy town Mindy Robinson with her big <laughs> boobs showing out, doing porn. You said that, not saying me. Saying nutso, nutso, nutso stuff. And which one's better radio and TV? Um, well, uh, sadly, I would say probably Mindy Robinson. But if we're going to try to get into some intellectual conversations, I would rather it not be with her. Oh, right, 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 right. So if you want intellectual, you want me. But if you want like high ratings, big boobs, crazy town, you want Mindy, right? So most TV stations and most radio stations are going to choose crazy town over Banana Republic Blazer. Well, I think that, that and that's why I think they're that's more why, popular. I think that's why Tucker Carlson has ratings, not because he's yes. this super talent. Uh, Tucker Carlson is a conspiracy theorist, racist moron, and that's why he gets ratings. Correct. Um, so Alex have, Jones. Alex Jones is another perfect example yes, of that. Yeah. I have eight Emmys. Mindy probably has porn awards, whatever those are called. <laughs> and and so at the end of the day, I should be superior. Mm-hmm. But guess what? So not she to, probably has more followers than me. Not to bring her up because I think she's a complete idiot, but uh, she would argue with you probably that she doesn't do porn. She does uh, R-rated but movies. But you're going to go see her at the porn thing, right? <laughs> no, I don't think she's going to be there. No, she's oh. not involved in hardcore. Uh, uh, not that I know a lot about her career, but she's in those Skinamax movies after dark. You know, the type of movies that are NR, R-rated, not X-rated movies. Oh. Yeah, she's just getting naked in movies. That's all. Well, yeah, isn't yeah. that okay? I guess I don't know the difference. So I wouldn't necessarily call her a porn star because I don't believe she's actually having sex on camera. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's the not difference. that not that I have not that I would disrespect anybody in the porn industry. Like I said, I just wouldn't go to them to get advice when it comes to election integrity or or vaccines because you know. Neither would I actually. Yeah, just yeah. so you know, yeah, but, I, but, 
I wouldn't go to anyone yeah. in the porn industry for really any information. <laughs> maybe when it comes to like herpes or stuff like that, they probably maybe, have. Maybe, they probably maybe uh, safe sex. They probably they probably know a little bit about that stuff. Sure. But uh, uh, listen, I'm going to have some porn stars in studio the next couple of days, so I don't want to insult all of them. I don't want to do that. So <laughs> that wouldn't be smart on my part. But uh, yes, there are people that we shouldn't listen to when it comes to medical information. Uh, when it comes to uh, anything with someone that would you would want a degree, uh, you know, and actually education. Uh, Joey Gilbert certainly being one of them. Uh, Mindy is certainly another one. And there are people uh, like the Michelle Fioris of the world, you know, people that you're right, the the popularity uh, among the Republican Party. I don't think there's a lot of wackadoodles on the left that are saying crazy, nutty things to become popular. Not many, not that I can see. I believe Ocasio-Cortez is fairly popular among the Democrat Party, not because she says crazy things. I don't agree with her Green Deal stuff. Uh, yeah, she's a very attractive lady, but she's very well-spoken. She's very opinionated, and uh, I respect her for that. Um, there's plenty of Democrats on the left that I can say they're popular, not necessarily because they say crazy, looney-tune, nutty things, but because they're opinionated and they're strong in, in, in what they believe. And I think there's a difference, and I think Republicans can certainly uh, do the same thing. Uh, I just don't think there's many of them in office right now. But anyway, Michelle, we are going to – uh, switch topics real quickly. But before we do, uh, I would like to invite you to a party. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Jackson's is my favorite gaming bar in town, and they are celebrating their 20-year anniversary. It's a customer appreciation party on January 20th. Uh, former Run and Rebel and great Anderson Hunt will be there. Former UNLV great and NBA player Marcus Banks will be there. I know you want to meet William Hung from I American really Idol. I really do, actually. Well, William Hung will be there as well. You get, and he's going to be singing She Bang, She Bang. Come there, on so. now. Yes, yes. He, he Duet will, time. He will be there. Oh, that would be fun. He will be there as well, as well as the Golden Knight and uh, their free food, a live DJ, over $5,000 in prizes, and you can show up. So there you're you welcome to be there. And by the way, they got some great... Uh, Great uh, gaming uh, promotions. Uh, earn 50, 200 points. You get $50 in free play on Sunday. Wednesdays, any four of a kind. You get to spin the wheel, twos through tens. And, of course, the party that I mentioned. Jackson's Bar and Grill. Please check them out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get an update from Buffalo Bills beat reporter Matt Perino on the latest on this poor kid that... Uh, He's still on a ventilator. He's still in critical condition, but uh, we'll see how Demar's doing. We'll get an update, uh, of course, from Matt coming up next. Take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. It's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, 
car accident treatment and work injuries, you name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams and treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. It's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Wednesday. Obviously, everybody... Their thoughts and prayers for uh, DeMar Hamlin. They want to know how he's doing. Uh, great support from people across the country and really across the world. And I figure, what what better person to talk about this than a man who covers the Buffalo Bills for a living? He does a great job as the beat reporter for Syracuse.com covering the Bills. Matt Perino joins us right now on the line. Matt, I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you so much. I know it's been a pretty busy week for you. Yeah. Um, it's, I felt bad because I've, I've had to reschedule a lot of things, move some things around. I mean, like you mentioned, everybody wants to talk about this. The, the, the one, I guess, positive you can call it that that comes out of the story is it's really brought so many people together. You know, in, uh, you know, in 2022, we've with so many things that tear us apart. And this was something that I think collectively brought the world together for a few days. And I think, you know, knowing DeMar, the little bit that I do in the conversations that I've had with him over the last two days and in member or uh, two years while he's been on the bills in the last couple of days with uh, a member of his family, I, I think he's really just going to just be blown away by all of this. Um, yeah. it's, uh, he's somebody that's tried to have an impact on so many people in his, in his own right. A, a kid that came from very little that made it all the way to the NFL that, you know, even before he got back to the NFL, he wanted to give back to young kids who are less fortunate um, he's just a, a great example of who we should all want to be. And it's just such a tragic thing. And luckily we're getting some good news here over the last 12, 15 hours. Um, 
But yeah, we continue to, uh, to monitor a very serious situation. Matt, yeah, you've echoed what a lot of people have told me as well. And I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. We've been talking about how so many people were so divided, but yet people have come together for this. So take me from square one, if you don't mind. Uh, you're at the game, obviously. What is going through your mind in real time from the time you see the hit and then all of a sudden, what was the first moment where you, where you thought to yourself, oh my God, this is serious? You know, was it the, the moment where they're putting CPR? Like, take me through at the arena. Uh, obviously the score, I think at the time it was seven three, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. take me through that. You're obviously, I would imagine you're in the media section there. Uh, what was that experience like for you at that moment? It was, um, it was so, it was surreal, obviously, but it was also, it felt like a movie. Uh, the way that it developed so fast. So I was watching the play. T. Higgins runs across the middle with the ball. Damar Hamlin comes up, tackles him. It was a hard, in real time, and I wrote it was a violent hit. Somebody took issue with that, that I wrote that. It was a violent hit. Like, it was, Damar Hamlin came flying into the play, and it was at an angle that was kind of strange because T. Higgins was kind of coming out from behind uh, a block or something, and then he kind of, sped up around the corner and they've met each other at like both going full speed. And, um, so it was, and so, so I was writing that down. I was, I was, I had a tweet written up about it. And, but before I started the tweet, I noticed that Demar had popped right back up and I was like, Oh, wow, that was a tough, tough hit. Um, as I'm writing the tweet, somebody in the, in the press box says somebody's down and I'm like, Oh man. Okay. So I got my binoculars up and I start scanning numbers for the folks that were standing up. And I wasn't even looking for three because I'd just seen him pop back up. And so about 20 seconds later, somebody goes, it's DeMar Hamlin. And I said, no way, it can't be, until I saw the replay up on the monitor in the, in the booth. And so then I just started, like, panning with my binoculars for anything that I could see. And the first thing that I saw was this EMT, I think, or medical worker, that was on the field that was assisting as other people had kind of surrounded DeMar on the, on the ground, screaming urgently, like urgently, like the look of urgency in her face. I'll never forget. Hmm. Um, screaming into a walkie talkie to get more people out on the field. And, wow. you know, obviously what we've come to learn is that the response, the emergency action plan from the league, the, the officials, the medical officials that were there was second to none and saved his life. I mean, his heart wow. stopped. Uh, they needed an oxygen mask, um, yeah. a defibrillator, and just the emotion on the face. Just think about that. Somebody that, you know, I, I talked to a lot of football players over the course of the season, and one of the things that a lot of them tell me is, like, it's crazy the dynamic of a team because if you think about it, they spend more time with each other, the other players and coaches, than they do with their own family. Right. So if you want to talk about just real family. Sure like dynamic that's what was at play out there and yeah. you, the brother that was injured you know people were crying people were consoling each other they were they didn't know what to do and yeah. it was it turned that's why that's why i said it was kind of like a movie like watching like a a, a horrific car accident or yeah. something where a group of people come together and even people that didn't know damar or weren't a part of the bill's team Bengals, you know staff members um you know, sideline officials, sideline workers, you know, building or stadium workers. It was just just sheer fear about what was happening. What was it like in the media room at that time uh, up there? Uh, I would imagine it's the skybox up there. I've never been uh, there in Cincinnati before, but what was the feeling like there? I mean, you see the game is canceled. Uh 
everybody's wondering, oh my God, is, is this poor kid going to lose his life? What were people in the media doing? Because obviously you can't talk to players, right? They're not opening the locker rooms, rightfully so, by the way. The coaches aren't going to be talking to anybody. The players aren't going to be talking to anybody. I can't imagine what those locker rooms must have been like, uh, those excruciating minutes past. But, I mean, what what was going on in, in the media section at that time? I think everybody was just chasing to try to get as much information as you can in those moments. It's difficult up there because we're so removed from the field. So, I mean, I, I would imagine the people that could – best to handle it are, 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 you know, maybe some TV people that might have, might have had coworkers down on the field, but it was really just a, a lot of just nothingness. Like we didn't have a lot of information about what was happening. So we just tried to, and me, you know, personally, I just tried to capture as much of it as I can. I was writing things down. I was um, just jotting things down. And then I had to start working on a story. I mean, this was a significant yeah. injury that was happening in, in the event. And that's one of the things that's so tough about the job sometimes is that you have to be able to, to a degree, try to turn off a little bit of your human side to be able to mm. just kind of robotically do the job. And isn't and it, I, it, it so many- you're right. And isn't it incredible, Matt, that, you know, I'm popping on the TV, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, every national TV station and publication is on this story. And here you are. You're the beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills. This is, the, you know, this guy, you know, his family, you cover the team, and the world is all watching. I mean, it's kind of a surreal moment, right? Oh, I mean, you, you encapsulated it perfectly. I mean, it really was something that I'll never forget any moment of it. Like, it was just so. It felt like this just massive, massive thing. And then the implications so much, like seeing DeMar's mother walking down the stands, who was there at the game in New Jersey, and not being able to get on the field at first, but then able to, you know, some, some folks that were down there were able to help her and get her on the field, and she was able to go in the ambulance with him to the hospital. And I asked Dorian uh, Glenn, his uncle, about her and how she's doing, and she's like, he's like, she's doing okay. She's, DeMar gets his strength. And work ethic from her. So she's being strong for him. And what an amazing family. Let's talk a little bit about his condition now. And if you're just joining us, he is Matt Perino, great reporter, uh, Buffalo Bills beat reporter for Syracuse.com. What can you tell us? What is the latest uh, on his condition? So the latest on his condition is that yesterday night I had met with Dorian Glenn, uh, his uncle. He was watching the game in Pittsburgh. As soon as it happened, he... Uh, mad dash to, to Cincinnati to be with his family. Um, he told me that uh, they obviously had to resuscitate him on the field. When they got him over to the to the medical center, they had to get him on a ventilator, and a 100% of his breathing was because of the ventilator itself. Um, by the next day, which was a little bit before we spoke last night at about 7 o'clock, they had reduced the, the workflow of the ventilator down to 50% which was a massive, massive update. Um, there's been reports uh, that kind of come out, and the Bills obviously put out a statement a little while ago saying that his condition has improved some, uh, obviously with the reports that have been coming out over the last 24 hours, but that he remains in critical condition in the ICU at uh, the medical center, and they're continuing the work that they've done, the miraculous work. I mean, this yeah. is one of those situations that can go so many different directions. And, you know, everybody keeps asking me about timelines. There really is no set timeline to what this looks like. This is right. just something that you you just hope and pray each step of this, this situation that he just yeah. continues to improve. 
Matt, one thing we haven't heard yet, and I'm sure you haven't either, is brain activity, right? We know that if you lose oxygen to the brain, it could be 30 seconds, it could be a minute, uh, it could change you for the rest of your life. I would imagine none of that information has come out yet. We've heard about the breathing, and I'm glad that 50% of the ventilator, he's breathing on his own. That's great news, phenomenal news. But have you heard anything at all of, of brain activity? Because I think the concern now, right, has to be oxygen loss to the brain. I don't. I do know that he's sedated. So um, any tests that they would be doing, um, those are those aren't public. So I, sure. I couldn't even understood. I, 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 I hate to ask you this question, but I will because people are going to be asking. Because I know this story isn't about football, but obviously it's your job to not only be on this story and you've done a great job, but also cover the team. I mean. How how do they play moving forward? How does this team play in a week or two? How can they play a football game, particularly if this kid is still on a ventilator? Like, do you have any information as far as how are they even going to be on the field or even practice for that matter? Right. Um, so they're on the. I think it's a great question, and I think it's something that I've really struggled with over the last forty eight hours. So much so that I I was going to write a column about it yesterday, and then I just I hit pause on it because. One of the things that I've observed here over the last couple of hours is jog my memory to something that that came about when George Floyd was murdered and Sean McDermott and the Bill teams across the league were kind of deciding what they wanted to do with the anthem. That was a, a big topic at the time. And Sean McDermott said that as a group, as a big group, and then as defense, offense, then as position groups, they spent time in the locker room and in meeting rooms, having open and honest conversations, and whatever they decided upon as a team, they were going to do together, united. And they ended up not coming out for the anthem at all. They just literally stayed in the locker room for a long time when the anthem was being played, almost more than a season. Um, and that was a result of, you know, the way that Sean McDermott conducts himself as a coach. We could talk a lot about him, too, because I can't say enough about what he did the other night. But, so I think extrapolating that to now, that's, to, to me, what I envision happening. Troy Vinton, the EVP uh, of game operations for the NFL, he said that they are going to let the Bills, Sean McDermott, dictate what happens with this game on Sunday. Hmm. So all the communication so far has not been about the game. Right. It's only been about Tamar Hamlin, who's still in critical condition. I love that, by the, the way. Hold- yeah, me too. It, they're holding a walkthrough today, and... Uh, the bill, the team is back in the facility. So I would imagine, and they, I think they were yesterday too. They're having those conversations. They're yeah. loving on each other, mm-hmm. right? Not being there for each other. And then I think that's going to come later. And how much later? Yeah. And in time for a game? It's a great question. Clear, uh, clear this up for me because I, I, at times I've criticized the NFL this week and at times I haven't, but we heard Joe Buck and I don't know if you heard this. Joe Buck say on the live TV cast, that players have been told that they have five minutes to warm up and get ready to go. That was after, after DeMar had received the CPR and he, and he was uh, off the field in the ambulance. And we've heard the NFL say, no, that is not true. Can you tell us what is actually true? Did, in fact, somebody from the NFL tell players on the field, you have five minutes to get ready to go? And my second part of this question is, why did it take the NFL an hour to cancel the game? So, um, another topic that I've spoken a lot about, uh, just finished a podcast, my own podcast with my co-host Ryan Talbot talking in, in depth about this. And so Zach Keller spoke to the media today and shed some more light on all of that. He didn't want to get too far down into the weeds, but he basically said there was no directive from every, anybody at field level 
to start a five-minute warm-up period. So the players that you saw, what I can only assume then, is the players that you saw out there warming up were doing that because of what else are they going to do out there other than is this game asking the question, is this game going to go on? Like, what do we do? So almost like not knowing what to do to just start doing that because in previous instances where there have been serious injuries where guys have gotten stretched off the field, taken out in a car, taken out in an ambulance, you know, there has been some type of ramp-up period. So I'd imagine maybe there was some type of miscommunication and Joe Buck seeing that they were just doing that down there like maybe he just assumed that was or somebody assumed that was and gave him that message. I don't know. The league still vehemently denies that they ever instituted a five-minute warm-up period and that at no time did they consider resuming the game. What I think was so amazing about that moment, and here's another thing and why I'm not so bent out of shape about how long it took them to cancel the game. This was, Zach Taylor said this today, unprecedented unprecedented situation happening in real time They're processing a lot. He walked over to the other sideline when he got wind that Sean McDermott was just needing more time to figure things out. And so Zach took it upon himself. I'm going to walk over there and I'm just going to try to be whatever kind of help I can be to help us figure this stuff out because I don't want him to be alone is what I took away from it. And the first thing McDermott said to Zach Taylor was, I, I got to go to the hospital to be with tomorrow. I can't coach in this game. And so then it was like easy from there. Right. But there was a lot of moving parts to all of this. And, you know, I do think for as much as I think it's fair to criticize the NFL for, you know, taking that long to to cancel it, I do think that they ultimately did end up at the right decision. Yeah. And we're not all perfect all the time, especially in those moments of just chaos and just trauma. Very fair. I think what you said is very fair. Uh, Matt, this will be my last question for you. You've seen things out there that the general public hasn't seen. Uh, what would you, what can you share with us as a reporter out there? You've been out there all week that maybe there's a misconception or things that people, the general public, don't see that are ha- have been happening behind the scenes, whether it be with the Bills organization, what's going out there in Cincinnati, around the hospital, that you would like to share with our listeners. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you know one of the things that I've just observed out here is something that I think you're getting on social media. I don't know if this is breaking news, but like just fans of different teams coming together to support, you know, people. And it's more of what we talked about before, but just seeing they they held a candlelight vigil last night. I was out at uh, the corner of Bellevue and Piedmont uh, right outside of the medical center. And there were people with Bengals hats, Lions hats, um, Bills hats. uh, I think a Bears hat. I think a 49ers hat. Like there were, NFL fans from all these different teams coming together to just celebrate a guy and celebrate all the people affected by the tragic event that just happened. And so, yeah, that's happening. Also, uh, Dorian Glenn told me that the Hamlin family up in the hospital hasn't paid a single cent for any food since they got here because everybody just keeps coming to the hospital and asking any way that they can help and get them whatever they need. Um, Mm. So it's just one of those things where I don't know, it's amazing to me I'm almost to the plane and I don't have much media left here before I go back to Buffalo I'm, I'm surprised that I've been able to find as many words as I have to talk about this over the last couple of days because it's been so difficult you know man and so yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Matt, I'll say this in closing, man. You're a great reporter. You've done a great job, not just with this story, but covering the Buffalo Bills as a whole. Uh, when you come out here to Vegas, when you, when you, when you come out and play the Raiders, uh, I have no idea who's going to be our QB next year. That's another story for another show, but, uh, love to meet you, my man. Dinner on me. And, uh, you're, you do a great job out there for, uh, Syracuse.com. You're a great reporter and I really do appreciate you coming on. Maybe busy. I know you're a busy guy. Maybe at some point we can catch up next week, but I, I do appreciate you taking the time to come on and, uh, thank you so much, my man. Keep up the great work and the great reporting okay thanks so much for having me guys Have a great appreciate week. that thank you so much that's matt perino wow what a really uh that's the first time i've ever talked to matt what a great reporter man just um you think he, he sounds like a uh a 30-year veteran in radio man just just uh really really great detail of what he's been doing out there and I, I guess he's getting on the plane right now going back to new york so i do appreciate him coming on so Michelle, I'm going to share a quick story with you and with the listeners of what this story reminded me of a little bit. A little bit. So the USA basketball team was practicing here um, for the Olympics. These are the best basketball players in the world, right? Everybody was here. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, like everybody was here. And they're playing this, what they call it, uh, I don't know, red and blue scrimmage. I think that's what it was, something along those lines. It was at the Thomas and Mac. Basically what it is, is it's an exhibition basketball game where you get half players on one team, half the players on the other team, and they're scrimmaging, and it's the best basketball players in the world, so it's pretty exciting, right? So I'm sitting right there front row watching the game with my credential, and uh, one of the players that was on the floor was Paul George. Paul George has been a perennial all-star, phenomenal player, good guy. He's already established at this time. This is like maybe seven or eight years ago as one of the best basketball players in the world. He drives to the basket, not a hard foul. His body goes into the, the lower base of the basketball hoop, and his leg literally, without getting too graphic, literally snaps in half. Ugh. It's it's whole, it's held together by skin. Oh, God. So immediately all the players start getting emotional and they're crying because most people at that time, including myself, thought that this was a career-ending injury. He'll never play basketball again. Now, nobody was thinking, oh, my God, life-threatening. Paul George is going to die. At least I wasn't thinking that. Nobody thought that it was life-threatening. He was conscious. He was, you know, just, you know, might lose his leg. Right. Um <laughs> But I compare it, even though he, thank God he wasn't given CPR and it wasn't as serious. I compare it to this for this reason. The players on the floor were all emotional and crying. Kevin Durant was crying. James Harden was crying. James Harden was the guy that committed the foul. No malicious. It was an exhibition game. Nobody was trying to hurt anybody. And then Mike Krzyzewski, I'll always remember this because keep in mind, this is a sold out crowd. Tickets were very expensive. This was in the middle of the basketball game. It's a fun game. Mike Krzyzewski, who's the, who at the time was the head coach, takes the microphone at the Thomas and Mac. And I'll always remember this. He said, folks, we appreciate you all being here. We appreciate your support. This game is over. And we, it was like you could hear a pin drop and, and nobody disagreed with the decision. You got players on the floor that are crying. Right. Uh, Oh my God, Paul George, his career might be over. This is one of the best players in the world. Luckily, he was sent to a local hospital here and the brilliant doctors were able to put his leg back together. And it's a miracle because the guy's playing great basketball for the Clippers right now. He looks like the Paul George of old. Um, but at that moment, we thought to ourselves, everybody did, including the players. And the press conference was very emotional too. I remember going to the press conference afterwards. It wasn't that they were in fear for his life. They were sad because they felt like, here's a guy that's representing his country. Right. You know, who's putting it out there. And now his career might be over. So 
I compare it to the emotion, and and that's the only time I was I've ever been in a situation that was anywhere close to what took what happened to Demar um, Hamlin. But I did think about that. I thought about you know the Paul George situation. It's really I'm really happy that you know both Bengals fans and Buffalo fans they've shown the respect and you know hanging outside the hospital. What a great story that there are people that have sent food to the family. Um, donating money to his charity. There is some goodness out there in the world, right? There's a lot of goodness out there in the world. And as tragic as this story is, uh, that's what I keep going back to, is the goodness that we've seen um, in humanity throughout this story. And sure. I just I just keep praying that there's a good outcome. I think that's my biggest fear is that I, I hope there's not a bad outcome to this story. I hope that, that he has just total healing, total recovery. I, I don't think his... I don't know that his career will come back, but I just pray that he has a a a good life after this. It appears to me that he's even if he can't get back on the football field, uh, he's a man that will definitely make a difference. Amen. He seems like that kind of man that that will do that. And it's interesting because, as as uh, Matt just said, uh, hopefully when he is conscious and when he's able, hopefully to see what what has happened, he's going to be pretty amazed at at the support that he's received, really from all over the world. Um, pretty cool stuff. Uh, I'm hopeful that one day we will see him again on the sidelines, but um, right now it's not a matter of playing football again or even being a coach or whatever he wants to it's a matter will he be able to talk will he be able to speak will he be able to walk will he be able to breathe on his own right there are a lot of those types of questions that need to be answered first uh what type of brain activity does he have right but like like matt said in the last 14 hours we have had some good news these are crucial hours crucial 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 next uh 48 hours and the fact that he's breathing somewhat on his own is uh great news and Um, from this point forward for the rest of the season until the super bowl you're all bills fans absolutely i'm pulling for the team we're all pulling for that i'll tell you right now i'm pulling more for the buffalo bills than i am the las vegas raiders i'll tell you that (laughs) some meaningless game against the chiefs this weekend but uh, no one cares yeah this is um this is an emotional uh, uh, situation, of course, um, but I think we all in our hearts are rooting for the Bills in one yeah. way or another uh, and uh, in the name of, of DeMar Hamlin, no question about that. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you being here as always. It's been a fun, lively show. Yeah. Who do you have uh, tomorrow? Oh, do you remember the pop star Tiffany? Yes, I do think we're Do you remember alone Tiffany? Now. Yeah, I think we're alone now. It's interesting. She sang that song when she was 15. Like way too young yeah, to that's, be on her mall tour saying, I think we're alone now. Yeah, that's a little strange. Yeah. Uh, being alone with a 15-year-old can get you into a lot of trouble. But yeah. uh, anyway, Tiffany is now an older, I shouldn't say old, but she is older. She's probably older than both of us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she wants posed naked for Playboy. I might have to ask okay. her about that. Uh, okay. But uh, she going to be in studio? She will not, but we, okay. she will be joining me on the show, though. So that okay. should be interesting. And uh, I don't know, maybe we can get Kevin McCarthy. Maybe Will he'll she be... sing? I can ask her on the air. Come on. Know. Yeah, let's get know. a little uh, I could ask her. Maybe acoustic we... version of I think we're alone now. <laughs> maybe we can do a duet. Uh, I am going to the AVN Expo today, so maybe I can drag along a few guests to come in studio tomorrow. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, we'll see okay. about that, Michelle. But anyway, I do appreciate you being here Thank as always. You. We will see you next Wednesday, right? Yes, next all Wednesday. Right. Thank you for being here, Michelle. As always, appreciate it. Goodbye to all of your TikTok uh, listeners, watchers. And my thanks to Mark Hayes for helping me out, as he always does a great job. We will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.